Well, good day to this uh, Green Tech interview, Lisanne and Mike. I'm very glad to see you both here online. Um, we have, of course, to, uh, to turn into these kind of, uh, of toolings to uh, communicate with each other in, uh, in these days of, uh, well, still the, uh, the COVID uh, times. I'm very glad to, uh, to see you again. Well, today we are going to talk about... Well, I, I'm glad you are prepared. It's always it's just perfect. Just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you are so professional. I'm so far. Um, that was so, it. That was the professional part. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, now we are going to have a very nice interview with only, only fun and in-depth conversations about vertical farming. Uh, I'm very glad to have both of you here. Uh, Lisanne, may I ask you to introduce yourself short and tell us about your profession in vertical farming. Yes. Hi there, everyone. Uh, first of all, Mariska, thanks, thanks so much for uh, inviting me to this conversation. I'm very happy to share with you my point of view on, uh, on vertical farming. I'm Lisanne Meulendex. I am currently working at the Delphi Improvement Center as a researcher on vertical farming. And there I focus on um, in creating growth uh, knowledge for vertical farms specifically. Okay, well, thank you. And Mike, all the way from USA, um, can you tell me about your, your profession? I know you're a grower, of course, you've always or all. So contributed to our webinar uh, together with, uh, with Priva and uh, Mijn Prins, of course, and, uh, and Rob Baam from Coppert Crest. But can you a little bit, uh, well, tell us a little bit more about yourself and 80 Acres? Absolutely, absolutely. First of all, Mariska, thank you for, for having me and 80 Acres. We're honored uh, to represent here. And I'm going to try to learn from Lasanne. And um, my, my problem usually is brevity. So Lasanne is... Uh, is teaching me how to only say what is important and do so more quickly. So I'm the mm -hmm. CEO and the co-founder of 80 Acres. Uh, we're an indoor farming company based in Cincinnati or actually Hamilton, Ohio. Yeah. And, uh, we have eight farms um, in four different states in North America. We're selling actually produce mm -hmm. in six states. We have our own girls on manufacturing facility. We partnered with Priva on uh, building grow zones. Um, everybody obviously knows who Priva is. Priva needs no introductions. And also Akata uh, joined us as well in the Infinite Acres um, um, uh, joint venture that is owned by Akata, Priva, and Acres. And that's a system provider. And 80 Acres is then the operator of those farms. I see. Okay, okay. Well, we're two um, big professionals uh, in this uh, is this interview, and um, well, we are going to elaborate on how horticulture and vertical farming are uh, are related. Uh, next to that, we are going to have a look at what innovations are needed for for vertical farming. Um, well, also we will dive into how a vertical farm differs from a uh, regular greenhouse. And then after that, I'm uh, very curious to know uh, from both of you how you manage uh, uh, through these times of, uh, of COVID-19 and uh, if some, uh, some new ideas came, uh, came out of the, of the crisis. But let's first start with... Um, with horticulture and uh, the relation of, uh, of vertical farming uh, together. 
Um, so you have prepared uh, some slides as well, uh, both of you. And I'm going to start with the one slide of you, um, Mike, about the relation. So let me have this full screen. So can you elaborate a little bit more on, uh, on this, Mike? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, look, to me, to us at 80 Acres and Infinite Acres, there is no vertical farming without horticulture. Um, vertical farming has to be crop-centric. It's all about crops. And we created uh, with Infinite Acres this gemstone that defines uh, a properly designed system with operational capability to run a vertical farm. And you can see that right in the center of that mm -hmm. is, uh, is the crop. Crop. Every varietal requires different needs. And to have an indoor farm, a vertical farm that is holistic, um, you have to have all the components, the integrated components. It's very interdisciplinary. You have to understand the climate. There's a lot of focus on the lights, and lights are very, very important, um, as you can mm -hmm. see on the far right side. But you also need sensors and controls. Uh, a lot about sensor controls. Where do you place them? A lot of the sensors need to continue to be developed. Um, a lot of the machine learning and AI that people kind of drop a lot of buzzwords around, but it is really important in indoor farming because we do grow so much faster. We do have so much data that there's a lot to be said there, but climate is really critical. And I think until very recently has been somewhat misunderstood. And again, that's the whole point of Priva, who is a climate expert and has, mm -hmm. has understood this for years and years. How you move air, whether it's horizontal or vertical or laminar is critical. How plants trans-evaporate is critical. How you control humidity and the environment that you create and set up is critical. And obviously that's related to an irrigation system. It's very integrated with proper, what we're calling fertigation, fertilizer and irrigation at the same time, obviously. Mm -hmm. Critical to understand that water systems are the biggest risk to indoor farms because we recirculate everything again tremendous expertise of Priva. And then once you have all that to make indoor farming, vertical farming work, you have to get to the right unit economics. And labor is a huge component. You can't get there without automation uh, and you can't get there without operational excellence. So we mm -hmm. have a lot of definition of how you build systems and operate them then where you take labor out. It's not automation for the sake of automation. It's all about the right proper automation that makes sense. And by the way, automation in different areas of the world means different things. Automation in Nigeria is very mm -hmm. different automation in Scandinavian countries. And operational excellence. Then the day you got to realize that this farm, in a, the vertical farm, is not only a farm, it's a processing facility, it's a manufacturing center, um, it's a distribution center. You're compressing all the supply chain elements into this wow. farm, which means that you better understand how to run manufacturing facilities. You better understand food safety. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, yes. We'll talk about the innovation pieces. So the point is, it's a very integrated, interdisciplinary approach to, that, is, that, that we believe is required to really make indoor farming work. And again, not just to have plants grow. Anybody can grow plants, mm -hmm. but to grow plants consistently, to grow plants effectively, to get the right yields, the right quality and to do it in a really meaningful way and to do it for more crops and just microgreens and lettuce. Okay, okay. Well, thank you very much for, for that. That's very clear. I'll uh, stop with this, uh, this sheet and then I go to, uh, to you, Lisanne. Yes. Um, and uh, you've prepared uh, quite uh, some slides as well. Um, 
So can you show how you see uh, how horticulture can contribute to, uh, to a vertical farm? Yes. So I completely agree with Mike when he's saying there is no vertical farming without horticulture. I'd love to see, Mike, that at your slide, I saw the crop uh, central. And that's also, um, for me, my central viewpoint in approaching, creating, uh, growing practices for vertical farming. And how I see the interaction between the horticultural sector and the vertical farming sector is that uh, we have a lot to learn from both. But let's take a step even back. Um, from moving from conventional farming to horticulture, we learn already so many things. Um, but we shouldn't forget that the plant processes that guide, in the end, the, the, the growth and hence the yield production are still the same. And so what we learned from that step from open field to horticulture, um, we should be very much aware, okay, what are the, the similarities um, between that horticulture and vertical farming? Because we already learned those things. We don't need to uh, reinvent the wheel on that aspect. Exactly. But very important as well to highlight the differences. And there are quite some differences uh, moving from horticulture to um, vertical farming, on which I'll elaborate a bit in the next slide. Um, because the main difference is that the level of interaction between the plant and its growing environment, in this case a vertical farm, um, is much stronger because the ratio between the growing surface and your volume is, is relatively small compared to a greenhouse and of course uh, very, very small compared to, to open field. And so what happens is the plant is alive, the plant grows and the plant directly in, uh, influences its climate, its growing climate. And um, because of its transpiration, um, it, uh, the, the air around the leaf, around the crop becomes more humid. And also this evaporation process uh, creates some um, temperature drop. And okay. if, the, if the exchange between the climate in the room and the climate around the crop isn't managed well, uh, you get quite a big difference um, uh, between these two. And I'll also show you a real case example later on in my slides. But it's something to keep in mind. The plant influences strongly its own growing environment. And the technology um, that uh, is so important in a vertical farm actually should be focused on trying to mix those two and to create okay. the optimal growing environment around the plant. Okay. Thanks for that. Shall I go to the next slide? Um, yes, I think that's good. Yeah. So another difference uh, between uh, horticulture and a vertical farm is that um, there the, some natural factors are absent. Um, so important factors for the transpiration process are the sun and the wind. Um, because uh, you need sun and wind to uh, have energy input. But in this case, in a vertical farm, uh, we have very efficient LED lights that actually are very relatively low in heat production, uh, for mm -hmm. sure much lower than the sun. And the wind, it all depends completely on the design of the, of the technical installation and on the, um, the set points and on the, and the crop. So maybe in, in the next slide we can see a bit more in detail that um, to actually make the plant active, to make it transpire, you need energy input from outside. So either you need heat okay. radiation uh, from which in, in a normal situation would come from the sun um, and that heat could uh, 
deliver the energy for transpiration. Or on the other hand, you can also have wind um, uh, that, that encourages this transpiration. Those are important things to keep in mind when designing a factory, because those are uh, the processes that in the end will determine the plant growth. And given that they're absent in, um, in a vertical, oh yeah, there's no sun and wind in a vertical farm, um, but they're, the, they are important factors for transpiration. You need to start thinking, yeah, from those uh, actually physical and plant physiological processes when designing uh, factories. And uh, the really the plant is really in uh, in the focus because if it has uh, a good environment, it will grow the best and has the best yields, etc. And uh, so yeah, it makes sense. Sometimes we tend to uh, to look at all the technologies, but the plant itself should be uh, be the focus. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Mariska, listen, if yes. I could just add, um, as a practitioner of this. Uh, yes. I couldn't agree more with what Lisan is saying. This is critical. In fact, we do think that if done right, this can be one of the biggest advantage of a vertical farm. And if done wrong, this can really hurt you and you will never be profitable. Because again, you don't have the sun, you don't have the wind. Um, on the other hand, you can't really control the sun and the wind in more traditional environments. But in an indoor farm, if designed properly, you can really control it. You can control that trans evaporation. And that's why you have such better control of the crops indoors yes. um, in, in a vertical farm. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. This is some, everybody focuses on lights all the time and everybody forgets that the real essence is exactly what Lisanne is talking about. Good, good. And to make the link again to the horticultural sector, it's true what Mike says that Actually, the sun and, and yeah, in the horticulture, it's sometimes the sun can also cause huge stresses that now yeah. we can control, which is a, a big opportunity. Yes, of course, of course. Yeah. If you Talking look about the... lights, <laughs> you <laughs> mention it, uh, Mike, a nice bridge. Um, so what I was saying, I, I try to approach um, growing practice uh, investigations always from the plant and there's two important plant processes that I'm, I'm focusing on that's the transpiration we just saw and of course photosynthesis because that's uh, the motor the engine that generates uh, your biomass your kilos your money yeah, yeah? so that, that's very important to to try to understand the process and optimize the process but again here we miss the natural factors and we need to to be aware of them try to capture them and um it, with LED lights, we, we uh, are using, depending on, on, on the spectrum, of course, but a very small fraction of the wavelengths that actually the sun is delivering. Mm -hmm. And research is still quite yeah, developing on um, what this lack of other wavelengths has for effect on the crop. And um, like I mentioned before, the infrared, which is heat radiation, um, could have a positive or negative effect, but it's is a big difference but also um there's a lot of discussion about the green far red and yes and all, the, all the colors is like mike said there's a lot of spectrum discussion uh which is far from finished but very interesting to but follow 
if, if I may, uh, may say it in my own words, um, you can really play with it, right? With, with, with the spectrum of the light. And uh, because you can, you can make a plant bigger, it can grow really exponential, but you can also concentrate the flavors. And uh, I think it's really intriguing to, uh, to, to know that, as you can really play with, the, with, with that. Do you also do that um, very much on purpose? I'm, I'm also curious about uh, uh, you, Mike. Do you have like this specific recipe that the flavor is uh, uh, extra tasty or uh, how do you do that? Yeah, when we started our first farming practices, we actually set up 24 different zones in mm -hmm. containers and tested different lights where we had ability to vary lights. In our production environment, we don't vary lights because we try to grow commercially, but in the R&D environment, we absolutely play with different spectrums, yeah. different production, and absolutely. We think it's a very key control point in an indoor farm, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and Lison, you have, uh, you have another uh, slide that you would like to, uh, uh, yes. to show us. Yes, because I'd like to bring it to a hands-on experience. Because like I was saying, I'm, I'm a researcher at, at Delphi. But mm -hmm. My work is all focused on applicable research. So um, this is a very, it speaks for itself, the example, um, what I have been discussing before. Um, I, I take back this, this image that I was uh, sharing at the beginning, where, where I state that there is a that the plant um, influences a lot its own environment and that you actually have to steer on that environment, uh, try to optimize that environment that is directly around the plant rather than just steering on your climate computer, which currently is happening quite often with growers in a vertical farm that, has la that have less experience with, with growing crops. So I want to show you a real a case example that I had in my own experiment. So I had this uh, simple setup where I put several sensors in a, in a very small plot of basil, but the, the differences were already quite strong. So you see one sensor on the right, which is very much hidden below inside the canopy, mm -hmm. uh, where there's a lot of transpiration from the crop. There's a lot of leaves around. And then there's one in the middle, which is a bit more higher up. Um, and then there's a pointed leaf temperature uh, sensor, which can tell me the the temp yeah the temperature of the leaf and so then I have those four factors actually the what the, the climate that I set in my computer uh, the the value of my macroclimate which is the the temperature in the room itself and the the the, the, the temperature in in the crop itself and of the crop itself and if you show the next slide you actually see that there are huge differences um, between these four different temperatures yes. and if you ignore them um, you're steering on a very um, wrong uh, idea, actually, because if you would steer purely on your computer, I would assume my, I'm, uh, my, my environment is 28 degrees, my growing environment. Mm -hmm. But as you see, <laughs> there's a lot of variation. Not, yeah. Actually, the room is at 29, um, but the leaf itself is only at 24 and 0.6. So uh, if you compare, yeah, it's, it's uh, almost five degrees difference. Um, it's huge and I just want to highlight that this thinking starting from the plant, trying to optimize the, the environment around the plant, it's crucial and um, this is the proof of it that, that um, even on such a small scale and, and uh, 
and quite an easy uh, growing environment. You already see these differences. And when you're working, which, which I'm doing, I'm, I'm trying to optimize growing recipes. Um, I think it's very much important to try to optimize and steer for these values rather than coming up with the values uh, just in the computer, let's say like that. Okay, and do you, uh, Mike, also uh, work with, with these kind of uh, sensors and also this, uh, this detailed? How, uh, how do you approach it? Yeah, I agree completely. First, I agree that there needs to be a lot more development in it. I think it's awesome that Lisan has uh, wonderfully given away all the secrets, which is great. Yeah. This, uh -huh. this is very yeah. important. Look, there's, there's a thousand of these type of little things that have to be done right for an indoor farm to operate effectively and efficiently. Otherwise, you think you're close to optimizing something, you're very suboptimal. So. Yeah. Um, uh, the devil is always in the details and um, yeah. you know I think Lisan is exactly right and it's a beautiful example that you just showed. Yeah and what I learned from you especially in a vertical farms is when you make a little mistake it's big it can be uh, have very big uh, consequences. So yeah. if, we, if we go to the innovations that are needed for, uh, for vertical farming um, like I would like to, uh, to give you uh, the floor in that. Uh, can you tell a little bit more about uh, what innovations are needed in vertical farming? Yeah, absolutely here. Um, you know, for um, our, our belief is again, that there's a lot of innovations that are um, required and be really helpful mm -hmm. um, to really, um, to drive the farms. I mean, obviously breeding genetics is critical when we're working with seeds that have been uh, bred for outdoor environments, bred for completely different, um, they've been optimizing different variables. You're optimizing temperature swings and humidity and temperature in the ground and pest pressures and disease pressures and all these other things, which some of them are very relevant for indoor farming. Others are not. You're optimizing how hardy the crop will be, obviously with a much heavier wind load than we will get in the indoor farm, very different transpiration rates as Lusan alluded to earlier. So the point is, as, as the vertical farming industry grows and the market becomes bigger, more and more breeders are starting to focus on the seeds with completely different genetics that are optimized for indoor farming, where we can optimize for yield, we can optimize for nutrition, we can optimize for flavor, we can optimize for texture, we can optimize for a whole new set of variables because we can control the temperature swings a lot better. We can control the pest pressures a lot better. So it's a completely different set of requirements. And the goal obviously is to get beyond leafy greens and uh, get sure. microgreens because it's the easiest way to start. It's the most profitable, but for this industry to really start impacting how the world eats in a broader sense, we got to get beyond it. Um, I think the other major innovation is interdisciplinary. I think, you know, there's again, tremendous innovation within lighting, within airflow, within machine learning, within sensors needs to be a lot more, as Lisanna's point now, but within all these different components, but it's the interdisciplinary approach and the integration of those things, making them work together that I think is going to be the next generation of innovation. Um, and the biggest one, honestly, is food safety. It's the yes. most simple one. I know there's a wonderful coalition of food safety, but you know, people forget in indoor farms, we create a perfect environment to grow plants, but we also create that perfect environment can grow a lot of 
a lot of things. And you don't have a clean break, right? Nature is wonderful in a sense of having a winter, which kills everything and you start over. In a greenhouse, you shut down production. Usually very few greenhouses really run year round without shutting down. Down, but mm -hmm. you shut down, you clean, you have a crop break, you do other things. In indoor farm, you don't. In indoor farm, you run year round constantly. So okay. if you don't design your system for sanitation, for, for, for food safety, and for things like that, you are going to have a problem. It might take you a year, it might take you two years, but understanding food safety and sanitation, designing these systems with that in mind, is frankly a huge point of difference between greenhouses and indoor farms and outdoor farms. And it's something that manufacturing executives understand very well, but a lot of greenhouse folks, I think, take it a little lightly. You're also a lot closer together. You're stacking things on top of each other. You can't get in somewhere and clean it very simply. I think that's the biggest challenge for somebody with a traditional horticulture mindset who's coming into a vertical farm. I think there's just such underappreciation of the dangers of food safety until yeah. people get hit with a recall. And this is important, right? We put food in our bodies. That's, yeah. I think, frankly, the biggest risk to the industry because a lot of the pioneers, um, you know, who want to change the world just don't have the experience. And again, that's why I'm such a big right. supporter of the, of the coalition that has been formed mm -hmm. to try food safety. In my mind, food safety is something that indoor farms, greenhouse and others should never compete against one another in. You know, I'm willing to give away my food safety protocols to anybody who wants to enter the business because I think, you know, if anybody has an issue, we all have an issue. Um, automation is critical. Again, if you can't reduce labor costs, there's so much there. There's a lot of silly automation and in, in many ways, over automated or under automated because the thought is, hey, it's good enough. We can build it for so many euros per meter squared in capital costs and that's good enough. And, you know, you're being too fancy and the truth is always in the middle. It's yep. not over automating, but it's not under automating. So I think there's a lot of real disruption to happen there. And finally, again, there. getting artificial intelligence machine learning from buzzwords to meaningful facilitation to get to autonomous growing is a huge thing that frankly, with respect to most, I think honestly, only a few companies really understand and are doing well. And uh, I think more will, but I think if people don't figure it out, they're going to have a really tough time competing. Through yeah, exactly. Because it's a very complex and very, like uh, like you said, the interdisciplinary uh, um, tasks. Well, you, you must know quite a lot and you can leave it to a computer, but there's also some some human logic that you have to put in it, etc. So it's uh, either you're, you're diving into it or you, you will not comprehend it. Yeah, the rate of change will be so significant that if you miss it, you won't be able to catch up in no. a meaningful way. And that's the issue. Okay, so uh, important. So maybe just again, just going back to the next slide, kind of the last point is the whole concept of an interdisciplinary sport, right? This mm -hmm. is something that on one hand is so logical and clean. On the other hand, there's so much innovation that is still required that, you know, all of us, are obviously very well-meaning people and we're all trying hard and we're dedicating our lives to trying to create something wonderful for the world, more sustainable way of farming, cleaner, better, involve the communities. But there's so much to do that we really believe that um, a collaborative approach is key. And that's something that, again, I th think the indoor farm industry has to learn 
from the horticulture industry, in particular the Dutch horticulture industry, because if you look at, there's always secrets between greenhouses and they're, they're, they're always competing on different things. And, you know, every grower has his or her way of doing things, but generally the collaboration between the greenhouses in Holland is I think quite inspirational and something that we in indoor farming need to aspire to and figure out where do we compete and where do we help each other so the yeah. whole industry advances and learns. And I Good thought you really critical. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's why we created Infinite Acres. We thought it was important to lead um, yeah. by example, not just with cheap words. Words don't mean anything. We wanted to put action, we wanted to put our money, we wanted to put our intellectual property we wanted to put everything at stake. And look, it's hard. Collaborations are hard. Everybody's got egos. Everybody's really good at something. So you have to give something up, right? You have to yeah. check your ego. It's very hard. But if you yeah. do it right, I think you can accelerate growth. And I think the industry needs it. So True. I think that's the biggest innovation that is required. It's okay. the mindset change. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. So um, if we look at the next uh, uh, question, actually, uh, how vertical farms differ from greenhouses, you already touched it uh, a little bit. But uh, yeah. yes, Lisan, please, uh, please tell me about, uh, about your yeah. vision regarding that. Yeah, I'd also like to uh, link a bit to the words of Michael Singer regarding the innovations, because I heard something very interesting that he was saying about the, the AI and the machine learning, that yes. it's so crucial um, in this industry. Um, and again, um, I want to share my view from the plant perspective. What I think is very crucial at this stage is that you're actually measuring the right thing because, uh, uh, I mean, there's so many sensors out there. And um, if you just put your factory full of sensors, but not being able to link the per parameter that you're measuring to actually the growth process or, or, or how well the plant is doing, then you miss a crucial step. And I think there again, also the interdisciplinary approach is important. You need to have that link between a grower, between a, someone who understands the plant's functioning and someone who can do AI and machine learning, which is, which is a difficult link. But if you can get that thing right, it's crucial. And also therefore you need the right sensors because also we're, I mean, a lot of vertical farms are still using horticultural sensors. I mean, mm -hmm. they do the job, but I think there lies quite a nice opportunity uh, for new innovations and new development to develop sensors that um, can actually measure on a, on a small scale this microclimate that I was talking about, but yeah. also tell us more about the plant itself. How is it functioning? How 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 is photosynthesis going? How is transpiration going? If we can actually quantify those things remotely, um, that would be a huge opportunity. Um, oh, great. So, so you, you really have more need and more uh, specific needs in vertical farming uh, than, well, just the greenhouse, to put it like, uh, like that. Um, so that, that makes, uh, uh, makes a step to, to the difference between greenhouses and, and vertical farms. Can you, uh, can you well, give your, your vision on that, uh, Lisanne, as you were... Yeah. Yeah. So I actually already mentioned quickly, but um, what is what is happening in a vertical farm is that, especially with the leafy greens, um, your your time frame is much shorter. Mm -hmm. So instead of growing a crop for a full year in in a greenhouse, you're you're doing a, a month or so. But that makes that also um, your problem solving, for example, needs to be much 
quicker. If you have an issue with your crop, you need to immediately respond because uh, you don't have that buffer of, of time to actually uh, uh, recuperate uh, some damage that is done. So um, it requires yeah, quick response. And on the other end, it also requires, again, from the technical side, more flexibility. Um, um, some systems are, are uh, not flexible to, to really, maybe on an hourly scale or daily scale, change the growing uh, situation. Mm -hmm. uh, they're more used to weeks or, or months. Um, but we need to reduce that time frame also in technical installations to give the plant the optimal growing environment. So that's, okay. that's, that's a difference. Um, and then another huge difference and opportunity, I think, is that plant growth recipes, um, so growing optimally, can actually be used on a global scale. And um, okay. I want to highlight that I, I have the point of view that each vertical farm is unique, each technical installation is unique, and the interaction between the plant and the design of the factory in the end will determine your, 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 your yield. Um, so I cannot say, okay, if I put this growing recipe in this farm, I'll get X, X kilos per square meter per year. It will be the same in the other one. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. But uh, on the other hand, if you're able to control that microclimate that I've been talking about and optimize that, you can actually multiply it unlimited. Infinite. <laughs> do you do you have the same experience, Mike? As you have different uh, facilities, of course. Um, is it easy to um, have like a yeah the, the same approach and the same results, or does it uh, differ? Yeah, that's a great question. A great point. You know, when we started, we started with different facilities, different sizes, all relatively small tests and different things. And what we have gotten to after five or six years, we'll call reference design, which is a very standardized modular design mm -hmm. where everything is repeatable and duplicated. And yes, we can now have the exact same conditions everywhere because mm -hmm. of the design. But it took us a long time to get there. And we still, again, in the R&D world, try to test different things. But the goal is, if we really want to do it commercially, is to have this completely standardized reference yeah. model or design. Yeah. Otherwise, look, the big difference is we're offering consistency and repeatability. And again, uh, you know, we don't view what we're doing. Our goal is not to just sell lettuce, right? We keep talking mm -hmm. about nutrition. And if yeah. you can't have that consistency and repeatability, yeah. if you can't run it like a manufacturing facility, then honestly, it's going to be really hard to be much better than a greenhouse because it is for a while a little more expensive to build. Mm -hmm. So if you can't sell a different product, if you can't drive differentiation, if you cannot decommoditize what you're doing, vertical farming shouldn't be done. That's why, again, it's not a hobby, right? You either do it professionally and you do it right and you come up with a completely different product. And for that, you have to approach it very differently. So yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. So, and if you look, well, when you started, when we started the interview, uh, you were also referring to that uh, in in like uh, uh, in in Africa, it's it's more difficult to, uh, or m maybe not more difficult, but it's different to grow there. Do you see in future it's uh, possible to have like this? 
the same results also in 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 different climates and uh, as well and in uh, in different time zones let me put it absolutely. like that yeah absolutely and look what i was referring to is different energy costs different labor costs different skills yeah of course yes of spare parts so i think a system has to again be designed wisely so you can modify it for the culture and um, you know the right conditions in each location you're going to. But again, the difference between uh, a greenhouse is you're coming in and uh, you're essentially totally adapting to whatever the environment is, the ability of growers and everything else. With an indoor farm, you're coming in and you are very clearly, look, we're growing in a module and our module is insulated and I can be in Timbuktu or Nigeria or Norway or wherever, and we're going to set the same recipe the same way and we're going to grow the exact identical crops and it could be raining or shining there could be a lot of sun or no sun and you know the whole point is to simplify i don't want to say to dumb down mm -hmm. the ability of it but it is once you figure it out it is much simpler to run an indoor farm than yeah. greenhouse. it is much yeah. more scalable and that is in fact the benefit of global scalability of indoor farms versus greenhouse well, absolutely that makes sense. And um, so then I come to my next question, how uh, vertical farming as a food production system uh, can contribute to the worldwide food production to, to healthy food. Uh, how do you look at that, uh, Lisanne? Yeah, I, I see huge opportunities to supply fresh, nutritious food and in um, urbanized regions, um, especially given that there's still so much innovation happening, uh, um, vertical farms become more and more efficient and really can uh, reduce uh, food miles in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and what Mike was mentioning about uh, food safety, I think both those, those aspects have, have great potential uh, to provide healthy, fresh uh, vegetables in, in, a, in an urban environment. So, and uh, Mike, do you have something to add on that? No, I think it's, look, it's about freshness. It's about pesticide free and being clean. It's about growing in the most sustainable way possible. Yeah. And it's about nutrition. It's all about nutrition. And it's about being able to control the crop, get yeah. that science down to very pragmatic capability. So you can do it everywhere, regardless of the scarce resources, capabilities, and a variety of other things of each particular region. And once you figure it out once, to be able to duplicate it everywhere and scale it. To me, that's yeah. the game. And if you can do it, then vertical farming makes tremendous sense and it's gonna have a huge impact on the world. And I believe that there's absolutely no reason that it cannot be done. In fact, I believe we've proven that we are doing it. Well, on uh, uh, the 9th of June, we had this webinar on vertical farming and also how vertical farms uh, all over the world um, well, survived or, or, or uh, changed their business model due to, uh, to COVID-19. And it really was, uh, for, for me, it was very interesting to see how adaptive vertical farming uh, growers are uh, and how important they were uh, during the COVID, especially with the lockdowns and how easy they could um, uh, deliver. Can you, uh, can, are you agreeing on that, uh, uh, Mike, or uh, how, how, how did you cope with it? Yeah, absolutely. Look, one of the big problems was that uh, supply chains have been so, you know, we keep talking about how great the food supply chains are, but 
a disruption mm-hmm. shows you the issues, right? So you had fruits and vegetables rotting in farms and you had stores that had no product. Why? Yeah. Well, because the supply chains are very specialized. The food service supply chain only delivers to restaurants and a retail supply chain gets to retailers and there's yeah. no mingling. And, and folks try to become creative and do it, but with an indoor farm, you bypass all of that nonsense, mm-hmm. all of those points, all of the waste that is created and you're next to your customers. So if you're growing and you can't sell to food service, you can sell to retail. So yeah, so we, we totally pivoted. We, uh, this, we created a new business unit. Our D2C, direct-to-consumer business unit, was created, and it's phenomenal. We reconnected with a consumer base. Yeah. And folks started right. coming to our farm to buy products. Yeah. We strengthened relationships with retailers because we were there for them. We strengthened relationships with the chefs because as they were struggling to come up with stuff, we could really work with them and we can sell some of the other stuff they could do for them and help them when they couldn't sell in the restaurants so they could cook up some meals or whatever else. And we could move it. We partnered up with hospitals. It created yeah. a whole opportunity. And again, being small startups, you can pivot on a dime, right? So you can yeah. do whatever you need to. So we pivoted and we strengthened relationships. I think, you know, COVID is a, obviously a horrible, horrible thing. There's yeah. a lot of pain all over the place. And, you know, I would never wish for anything like that uh, to anybody. But, you know, the beauty of small businesses is every threat is an opportunity. So we pivoted and we created a whole bunch of opportunities. And we're going to come out of COVID a lot stronger than we went in. So good to hear. So good to hear. And uh, Lisanne, did it have uh, uh, quite an effect on, on, on your uh, research or... Uh... Yeah, so it was interesting to see, actually, because... Um... Actually, it didn't. And, I, and, and so in a way, I have a bit of a different story than most people in the COVID times. But that's also the beauty of the story behind vertical farming, because um, working in the in the food production industry, um, it was regarded as a vital job. So I kept on going um, regularly to my job. Um, but what was beautiful to see is that production uh, just could keep on going. Um, and food was kept being produced because actually it's a very uh, low labor intensive uh, way of producing. Mm-hmm. And um, even though what Mike was saying, you saw empty supermarkets and supply chains were broken, but still the supply kept on functioning normally while around us, the uh, each market almost got heavily affected. And, and that aspect was i mean very interesting as such to see okay while all the markets around us are really disrupted we can just keep on going we can keep on producing um and um that's a that also shines a light on on what's possible in the future uh, in case similar situations would happen again and we have more widely uh, spread vertical farming supply from our vegetables and fruits um yeah then this this is a huge opportunity in that sense yeah i uh, i agree well we also see um well that that a lot of uh, of countries are uh, taking next steps to invest in uh, in all kinds of uh, food production systems to make sure that they uh, can feed their uh, their own population and uh, we we especially with green tech and with the dutch horticulture uh, technology companies we we see that demand is is really increasing and um, as green tech i'm going to wrap it up a little bit as you uh, you can sense right now 
is uh, we, we of course struggled as green tech itself as we couldn't have uh, a show in, uh, in June. But despite that, uh, we postponed it uh, to, uh, to October, but despite that, we are still in contact with a lot of the growers and with a lot of the technology uh, companies. And you see that the demand is, 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 is increasing uh, tremendously. So um, that also uh, gives us the opportunity to reach out in October from 20 to 22 uh, October in Amsterdam to indeed start with the first physical horticulture show again. Maybe it's just a few people, maybe it's the predicted 3,500 people that we, uh, that we estimated that, uh, that should, should be able to, uh, to come mainly from Europe. But we will reach out, of course, uh, in the meantime and during those few days also to the Americas and to, uh, um, to Asia. And we will do it with a follow the sun program that is fully um, uh, online. I very much would like to thank you, first of all, for your contribution to this great interview. I'm uh, sure that everybody learn, learns from it because it's very much in, much in depth. You even uh, uh, showed some secrets, revealed some secrets, as uh, Mike said, Lisanne. So thank you for that. And I, I, I wholeheartedly hope that I can see you in person uh, in October. And if not, then definitely we will see each other virtually. So yeah. thank you very, very much. And uh, stay safe and, uh, and sound, of course. Yes. Okay. Thanks a lot, Mariska. Okay. Thank you for the yeah. nice Bye-bye. <laughs> Wonderful seeing you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.